friends, and welcome to There's No People Like Show People, the podcast that connects and reconnects the theater community, inspires hope, and strives to help people not feel so alone. I am your host, Sarah Philibon. Welcome back, friends. There are so many ways to support There's No People Like Show People. Would you like to be a guest on the show? How about joining our exclusive ambassador program? For more information, please follow us on Instagram at There's No People Like Show People. And we now have merchandise. Just head on over to There's No People Like Show People, that's all one word, dot item order, I-T-E-M-O-R-D-E-R dot com for all of your comfortable and stylish podcast merchandise needs. We have t-shirts, sensible hoodies, cozy jogger sweatpants, coffee mugs, water bottles, and everyone's favorite limited edition booty shorts. And it's all available over at there's no people like show people dot item order dot com. Each purchase really helps cover the costs of the podcast. I can't wait to see all of you in your brand new merch. Thank you so much for supporting There's No People Like Show People and celebrating the resilience of the global theater community. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey, listeners, what's up? How are you today? I, today, I am showing up in a leopard print shirt because I am substitute teaching for not one, but two elementary school age hip hop classes later today. So I thought, you know what? What is more fun than showing up in leopard print and doing a dance combination to Beyonce? I really can't think of anything more fun. Um, Our next guest, wow, we have known each other for a long time, but we actually have not performed or worked together in, oh gosh, over a decade now, because we were just saying that we are, um, we are getting a little old over here, but in the best possible way. I like to say we're, we're becoming more wise. So uh, our next guest, yes, he is a performer, an actor, a director, and I am just so inspired by his work ethic. He recently went to graduate school and got his MFA in directing. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen G. Tabor. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, how are um, you? How are you today? Oh, you know, we're, I'm, I'm great. I'm just trying to, you know, find that routine. Some are so hard to keep a routine and keep some discipline going. Um, you were talking about us getting older and I started, you know, as I'm looking in the mirror, I'm like, you know what? These aren't wrinkles. These are victory lines. I'm calling these victory lines for my smiles, for my frowns, from all my faces. So uh, just markers of success. <laughs> That's right. I like that. Victory lines, which means that you are winning at life. Yes, yes. Winning at life. Oh, so, Stephen G, where, where are you in the world today? Uh, so I, I am in Carbondale, Illinois. It's in Southern Illinois. Um, I, I did just finish graduate school at Southern Illinois University. And so my lease was until the end of July. Um, and taking a couple months to, you know, figure out life before we make our next move. So we're just kind of finishing up our time in this part of the country and, and then we're off on our next adventure. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, I feel like we sort of need to bring it back. Let's, let's, uh, this is such like a, I don't know. I feel like sometimes these episodes are part like nostalgia, but they're also part like therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) And so the, the therapist in me always says, let's bring it back to your childhood. So where where are you from? How did you get into theater? And what is the first show that you did? These are okay. Uh, So I'm from Bowling Green, Kentucky, um, which, you know, only place in the world that makes Corvettes. So uh, I am a Southern boy born and raised. uh, And those are my roots. And uh, I got into theater mostly through I started with church shows. Uh, and just kind of that storytelling. And so storytelling has always been a big part of my life, whether from Bible stories or from, from whatever, but I enjoyed being the center of attention sometimes. Um, and I did this whole thing of like, I'm going to be an actor, like from a young age, I'm going to be an actor. 
And then I was like, no, I'm going to go be like a psychiatrist or a chemist or any of these science things. I went back and forth between science and art. Um, my sister and I laugh because our parents both have science degrees and she and I both have arts degrees. Uh, so I guess that's just how it goes. But um, I think my first show that I would consider like theater wise would be Once Upon a Mattress. And I did that my freshman year of high school. Uh, and I, I was like, oh, this is all the cliche things. I'm having to wear tights. I'm having to put on makeup. I'm wearing pink tights because <laughs> that's what the costume was. I was like, oh, what will mom and dad say? Um, and so, but, and it, it, but it became really wonderful. And so the next year we did Singing in the Rain. And that's when I started to learn like some of the seniors were going off to do this professionally and like go to college. I said, oh, you can you can potentially go make money off of this. Like you can go study this and yeah. Um, so that kind of got me interested in actually making a career out of it. And so from once on a mattress all through high school, um, ended up at Western Kentucky University. And I, again, I went back and forth between, you know, there's this thing in, in the performing arts of like, can I do this? Can I be successful? And you're always kind of doubting yourself. And so I went back and forth with my major. I was like, I'm gonna do musical theater. I don't know if I can do musical theater. I'm going to go be an English major. I'm going to go be, so this full circle of floating around majors and uh, finally had a, a, a professor that kind of instilled in me and said, you, you do have the potential to do this. Like you've got the drive, you've got the talent. Um, and I think that's one of the hardest things is that you feel like you need someone else to tell you that you can do this. And really you have to tell yourself. I mean, there is a certain amount of where are you going to best succeed in the industry um, but I, I stuck with musical theater and, uh, decided I also wanted to do directing. So I got a double degree in musical theater and directing and, and then we went out into the world. And then we went out into the world and that is where we met. And I'm even trying to remember, cause it's been so long, like what, ye what year we met? Can you remember? I did. It was 2008. Yeah. Um, it was, it was the year we did producers. Fiddler on the Roof, uh -huh. Stinging in the Rain, and Jesus Christ Superstar. That's right. Yes, we did a whole summer season together at the Shenandoah Summer Music Theater and had a blast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then and I feel like I met so many people like that are still my friends and contacts that are just off doing amazing things. So it's oh, so yeah. weird how, you know, however many years ago those people are still off. And, you know, e even the relationships that formed, like I think about the Miscos and how they met during that season and are now married and have kids and yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just crazy I, I feel like you know as an artist you never really know where your life is going to go mm -mm. which is simultaneously terrifying and exciting all at the same because it's like when you do so many things you're like well I can do this or I can do this or I can do this or and it's kind of like for me especially now I am you know my, my I feel like my official title is I am the single mother in theater which, um, there's not a lot there's a very small amount of people who sort of fit into that category right and uh you know I just I just can't I've been doing this for so long I just can't like I really can't imagine doing anything else you know I'm like this is what I know how to do and so now it's sort of in this strange weird pandemic sort of world that we live in you're like how do you and, and I guess this is the great question you know for everyone who's listening but also for you how do you feel like you sort of fit into this brave new world that we're coming into I mean I know like you just graduated yeah yeah well you know, one thing you kind of hit on that's interesting, it's, you, you said, this is all I know how to do. I think to some extent, this is also who we are. Mm -hmm. Like we are artists by nature. And one of the, the things we have to wrestle with in our, in our society and culture is this idea that um, what we do defines, like we have this understanding that what we do is, is a marker of our, our identity. And while that's true, we are still artists, even when we're not doing art but because of society that's like okay if you're a teacher you're going to be teaching if you're not teaching you're not a teacher then to some extent we feel like if we're not doing our art we start to question our identity like am I still an artist am I still a performer I don't have a job right now yeah um, so that's really that's really hard that our society's kind of inflicted that upon us that what we do is 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 our identity um I 
I, I'm going off at a tangent, but one of the things that's been really hard for me to learn over the years is that it doesn't matter what I'm doing, I'm still an artist at heart. Um, and, and by nature, I've seen so many friends go off and they'll, they fall away from performing or from, from doing anything necessarily in the arts and they go off and they'll do community theater or something like that. And I'm like, that's, that's fine though. That doesn't mean that they gave up. Um, it means that they found something else uh, and they're still an artist doing that um, just because you're not doing it. And so that's been really hard for me to accept. Um, when I graduated, so while I was in college, I worked every summer. I always had a performance gig. And then as soon as I graduated, nothing. I had nothing. And it was just such a crisis of like, I've got this degree. We're not doing anything. Yeah. I guess oh, I'll go and, well, and you're, and I don't mean, to inter but you're talking oh, about yeah. under, un undergrad here. Oh, yes. Undergrad. Yes. Undergrad. undergrad. Yes. 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 Sorry. Um, it's like, I guess I'll go live with mom and dad and work at Barnes and Noble for a while. Um, like there's just such a, a feeling of failure because you're not executing the artistry. Um, and it's so, it's also temporary. Um, Cause I mean, like literally the, the following year I ended up working like 12 months straight. So it's just, it's so come and go. And as we're coming out of this pandemic, I know every, a lot of people were feeling we're questioning kind of self-worth. I mean, it's, and it's not just like, this is what I do, but um, I know so many people that were struggling with mental health because they're not able to express themselves. They're not able to do what they love. And it's not just about a paycheck. It's about being an artist um, or even attending live theater. We, we did, my thesis show managed to be live um, this, this past spring. And so many people in the audience were just like, it was such a breath of fresh air to be back in a performance space and see art. So as we enter this new world, um, yeah, I, I think, I don't know where I'm going with that thought. I, I think we're trying to reconcile, like when I'm not, when I'm not working, am I still an artist? Yes, I am. And that's oh, going to yeah. manifest however it needs to be. Right. Well, it's sort of like, I don't know, I really have been thinking a lot lately about internal validation versus external mm -hmm. validation. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of similar to what we were just talking about is that you don't need that external validation. You don't need that job or that theater or that role in your resume or that piece of paper or somebody else to tell you that you are an artist. You know, mm -hmm. that, that is like external, like internally, like, you know, within your being and inside of yourself that like, yeah, I am a creator. I am an artist. I am uh, an activist. I am a supporter. I am, you know, whatever you are. And so it's like sort of learning uh, through, and I, it's really hard to do. It's it takes a long, long, long time to sort of feel comfortable and independent and be like, no, like this is who I am. And it doesn't matter if I have a, if I'm working or not in the arts, or it doesn't matter what other people think of me, what matters most is what I think of me and what I want to huh. do. Well, we have the, the added obstacles, you know, social media is a wonderful thing. I love the connection, especially the networking aspect within the arts. It's been so useful for me to stay in contact and just message, you know, you're on the other side of the world. Hey, you've got a job. Um, but it's also been, I'm sure so many people can relate to this. You see other people working or getting jobs, and you're like, Mm, that's not me um and I just remind myself I don't know where I read it or who I heard it from but just this mantra of like your success is not my failure your success is not my failure and trying to because we we're in a competitive industry that's just a fact but trying to adjust that mindset so that you are supportive of your friends and colleagues that are working and not feeling jealous or letting that turn bitter or sour um, is a huge obstacle because you see them doing great things and somehow you let that reflect on your own uh, self-worth. Um, so that's that's a really hard obstacle to to overcome. Um, and also, I'm not, I don't want to be negative. I'm also thinking about, because this happens in grad school too, there's something, do you know what the imposter syndrome is? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah okay, yeah. Imposter syndrome, I, I mostly encountered it in graduate school because I'm around and I'm like, oh man, I don't know this. I don't know the, I don't know how to act. I don't know how to teach acting. I don't know. They're going to find out. These students are <laughs> going to find out that everything on my performance resume has been a lie. Um, and and you, I still feel that way, um, you know, if I'm in a performance uh, situation, like working for a theater, um, I have to remind myself, no, I'm here. They're here. We're all just doing our job. It's, no one's comparing. I mean, we might be comparing in the back of our minds, but 
Um, that's kind of been my own journey of, of overcoming self-esteem and self-doubt is saying that what I am is enough um, for the situation that I'm in. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause I always ask people like what has been their biggest struggle. And I feel like you already just answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, that with, I mean, rejection, obviously we're in a, a, a an industry where you're just constantly getting rejection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even so as I've been after graduating, I've also been applying for higher ed jobs to teach university and that's a completely different competitive marketplace. And you, so you're constantly getting rejection emails um, that are not unkind, but it's just, it does weigh on you after a while. And it's, it's different than, you know, going to Telsey and doing your 16 audition cut after waiting in line for five hours and then you never hear anything. That's a different kind of rejection. Um, So that's been a, that's a hard thing to overcome and to continue not letting that affecting your self-worth or identity and to continue pushing forward in spite of that so hard. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think you have to know that at some point, someone is going to say yes. <laughs> at some point, yes. you are going to get offered that job, you know, it's a, and it's yes. sort of having the patience and the resilience and that internal knowing that what you are is is absolutely good enough yeah well and i have to say so my my training in auditioning was not spectacular i know some schools that are so good because it is kind of its own skill set and there are so many schools that will do really good intense programs to audition so that you can market yourself and i didn't quite get that so when i was in new york i was constantly struggling and trying to figure out what is auditioning especially in this inner city Uh, climate. And, but what I found was that one of my strengths um, is my networking, which is to say, I've got, I've worked a lot. And a lot of it's just been through, you know, something, someone fell through, or we need this person. And, you know, I was recommended. Um, And the talent is there. It just, I'm not always good. It's like having that first interview or doing that cover letter to try and get in the door. Um, You know, you can nail a callback, but if you can't get the callback to begin with, it's really hard. So, kind of recognizing those strengths. I was kind of seeing where auditioning was maybe a weakness of mine. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it is, but the flip side of that is I know that I have uh, reputation and what am I trying to say? Capital, social capital maybe in the industry that people know I'm, I'm an okay person to work with. Yeah, you, well, you just, you know a lot of people. You have a lot of connections yeah. sort of all over the place. And, and that's great. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can never have too many friends. Yes. It's like, yes, he can hold a pitch and he's not a dick. Okay. <laughs> Let's hire him. Let's hire him. Yeah. Let's give him a job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, uh, go ahead. No, I'm, we got to talk about grad school. I oh, yeah. am just, I'm so curious. I, so tell me sort of like, why did you want to go to grad school and what was your experience like? Sure. So um, I, I'll start with after I moved to New York, I was there for about five years and I was doing the performance thing, but mostly those performance opportunities were taking me away from the city. So, you know, I don't, when I lived in New York, I never actually had an apartment. I sublet around for five years. Every month was moving to another place. So yeah, just my two suitcases and just kind of hopping around because I I always had a job coming up and I was like, there's no point in signing a lease if I'm going to whatever. But I got to a point towards the end of that five years where I, I was kind of hitting a, a, a brick wall. I was like, we're not really moving forward. We're kind of doing the same thing. And also I've been really focused on my performance and I've neglected my directing. And directing really is one of my passions. I love people watching and I love um, the, the, you know, if an actor's medium is action, I feel like a director's medium is, is behavior and, and kind of shaping Uh, how an audience is going to receive that, how the actors are going to interact with each other. And I was just like, I need, I need more training on this. Um, And the prospect of working in higher ed had always appealed to me. So I I started looking at, you know, do I want to go for acting? Do I want to go for directing? Do I, what do I need? Um, And it's, it's hard because you kind of need to have some credits to be a viable candidate. Uh, But also without the training, how are you supposed to get the, the, the credits? Um, but I, I, I had enough to where I felt like I could make a strong case. And so I narrowed it down to two schools. One was Temple University 
um, they had a musical theater collaboration MFA. And one of my passions is new musical works. I think it's really cool to see what the, new, the current generation has to say. Uh, and I knew that was gonna be a very strict regiment um, of here are all the classes you're taking, now to go do the thing. The other thing that caught my eye was Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, um, partly because I knew people that had worked here um, with their, their summer stock theater, McLeod Summer Playhouse. And uh, also they had a more flexible degree path. So I knew I could go in for directing, but I knew I could supplement it with, you know, if I wanted to focus on musical theater within directing, I could take those courses and kind of make the degree program I wanted. So I ended up going with uh, SIU. Um, if you are looking at grad school, definitely get one that's going to have a graduate assistantship, uh, which means they're gonna pay for your tuition to a certain degree. Um, like I had a 50% assistantship, which means they paid for my tuition and then I got paid um, for 20 hours of work a week. Mm -hmm. um, so it was like $1,400 a week, uh, a month, sorry, 1,400 a month before taxes wow um which is depending on the city you're living in like you can live off that it's not oh, great yeah. but um so go go for a school that's going to pay for you and pay you um that's my that's my first suggestion because you're trying to get a piece of paper you're trying to get training um and grad school was kind of a a, a mind blow because i'm my cohort which are the people that are in your graduating class was such a mixture of really young 20 year olds like a lot of tech and design people um and then you're I was the only director and then uh there were a couple of playwrights and so it's just this weird amalgamation of of people that are, are doing their education journey together um my professors in undergrad always recommended that if I was going for performance or directing to prolong going to grad school for several years um they said don't go right after undergrad because you want to build up some uh, credits and also in real world experience. And you also wanna make sure this is something you really wanna do because grad school is a, is a beast and you don't wanna just half-heartedly commit to it. Um, so it's weird to see some of these you know, 20 year olds that are more tech and design who do need, that it is more uh, appropriate for them to go and get that further training immediately after. Um, and then trying to remember, you know, Sarah, how do you write a paper? <laughs> <laughs> writing papers I was like I don't know how to do any of this I did all this in undergrad and I was really good at it I don't remember how to do any of this uh, so that was really hard to try and jumpstart that yeah <laughs> um, gosh but I had I had a really good mentor uh who was the the chair of the department at the time and he he loved musical theater and we just immediately latched on to each other um I've rarely in life found a director that I felt like I could study under. Um, I just, I never found anyone's style that I was like, yeah, I get that. And this guy, I just really latched onto him and he kind of led me by the ropes. He threw me into, you know, teaching beginning acting and teaching all this stuff. And that's something I, I do like about the graduate program I did is they, instead of being a teaching assistant, they threw me into being an instructor of record which when you're applying for higher education jobs looks better. It's not that, oh, I helped the teacher. It's no, this was my class. Yeah. Um, and so getting to, you know, create syllabi and understanding how the politics of academia work. Um, and that's a lot where that imposter syndrome came in. It's like, aha, what's Stanislavski? I don't know this. I don't remember. I know we did it. Um, just trying to remember how, how all that works. Um, and to be working with students who have never heard this before. Like I can say Stanislavski to you and you know what that means. Or we can talk about Oklahoma. We know what that means. And these, these kids don't know yet. Uh, so it was kind of really exciting and also really weird to be like, ah, a tactic, ah, an obstacle, a goal. Um, but I, I had three years of that and it was a bearing journey because you, you're supposed to direct three big projects. Um, and the first one I got to do in, in, in person. And then, you know, we had a pandemic. Um, I was supposed to do the musical Glory Days uh, and pandemic happened. And I was just like, um, and everyone was trying to figure out how do we do shows? And a lot of people were doing these Zoom productions and I don't, Glory Days takes place on a football field. And I was like, I don't, I don't see this working like the Brady Bunch, like seeing four people in their windows. So what I opted to do instead was do it like a radio drama. 
And so I taught all the music and did all the coaching um, through Zoom. And then I recorded it all and just spliced it together into this audio drama with you know some ambiance uh, sound effects. Um, and then I, I produced it so that you could just, I laid in my hammock and just listened to it. And it was really relaxing to go back to those um, days and just imagine the story instead of having to look at people, you know, in their bedrooms on Zoom. Um, where are we going? Where are we talking about, Sarah? How am I getting on this? <laughs> I feel like we're, we're talking about a lot of very important things. We're talking about... <laughs> talking about what it means to be an artist and we're talking okay. we're talking about graduate school we're talking about our youth at the Shenandoah Summer Music Theater <laughs> we're talking about the pandemic See, <sighs> these are all things that people that I feel like are relatable and people want to hear about okay <laughs> we'll pick what um <clears throat> Let me let me let me address some one of my goals with grad school. In addition yeah. to getting my education, um, I I consider myself to be a, a good writer. Um, I I ended up at, so and let me clarify that I I opted to go for an MFA um, rather than a PhD because an MFA tends to be more hands on and practical. Uh, it's you getting to do the work uh, in performance rather than writing about it. Um, PhDs tend to have a little more theory and criticism involved. Um, doesn't mean you can't be more hands-on, but I want to remind everyone that an MFA is a terminal degree. So if you get your master's in fine arts, that is the end, that is the end of the road. You are you are valid. You can go teach at universities. Um, and I opted for that because I, I wanted that hands-on training. Um, but I I'm okay at some of that scholastic stuff. And so one path that I really found while I was in grad school was this idea of being an artist scholar to where I can do my performance and directing, but I can also write about it. And one of the things I've tried to do, grad school introduced a lot of terms and concepts and theories that are just kind of a, um, like we're gonna talk about hermeneutics or phenomenology or rhetoric or discourse. These are all big buzzwords that are kind of intimidating to someone like me. Um, and they're words that no one really defines. You just kind of use them over and over again. So one of the things I kind of clung to as this idea of an artist scholar was trying to be a bridge between those things and make some of this information more accessible. So in my writing, um, I kind of, I, I study uh, masculinity and musical theater. And one thing I've been trying to do is take some of that research into how do we perceive masculinity and gender and how do I make that accessible to um, the theater world, the theater community. Uh, one of my passions has been trying to figure out how to desexualize um, language when working with uh, male actors or, or really actors in general, and you're trying to adjust their gender performance. Um, it kind of stemmed from being in productions where uh, directors would say, all right, boys, you need to butch it up and be less gay, or uh -huh. uh, can you be straighter? Um, uh -huh. And I think that's really harmful. Um, yeah. it's, it's one thing if, if a person already understands their sexual orientation and that's, that's one you know, hit that, that hits you. But it's another thing if you're not sure what your orientation is and you're trying to figure that out and someone's telling you, hey, you're not coming across as heterosexual. Um, so I think that's harmful. And so what, one of the big things I tried to research was how do we take that language and get rid of it? What are some alternative terms we can use? How can we make it, um, I don't know, more, more accepting and not just with masculinity, but femininity too, because we, you, girls don't want to hear, uh, can you be, can you be more girly? Well, yeah. maybe it's not as harmful, but, um, can, can you be yeah. sexier? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ow. Ow. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. So, yeah, so trying to trying to figure some of that out required delving into theory like sociology and all these other gender studies and pulling out things that I could bring into the classroom or bring into a rehearsal space um, to try and make it a more comfortable environment. You know, so we're moving towards this idea of um, intimacy choreography and trying to make the the theater industry a little safer and a little healthier. Um, that's, that's a contribution that I've been trying to do. So that all came out of going to grad school 
and being exposed to these worlds um, and this intersection of different studies that I hadn't anticipated. I love all of this. I love all of this so much on so many different levels because, uh, you know, I went to school, BFA, musical theater, and graduated a thousand years ago. And then there was a solid decade where I was a working actor, where I, you know, regionally, where I just went from contract to contract to contract. And I kind of lived out of my Toyota Corolla and I would get a job. I'd say, great, when do you need me to be there? I'll just pack up the Toyota Corolla and I'll be there. You know, with bells and whistles on. Whatever you need me to do, you got it. And, you know, and then I had a baby. And then, and the last, I'd say two to three years, my career has been making this wonderful transition mm. into directing, choreographing and teaching. Yeah. And I actually find that side of it more fulfilling for several different reasons. And I, I was never really a fan of memorizing lines. And so the fact that I don't have to, <laughs> I can just have everything written down and I can teach, you know, from my notes. And, and like, I love, so I think that the thing that I love the most about it is, is this group of people from all over the place sort of come together and have this shared experience. And it's always my goal as a director and or choreographer to really make people shine and, mm, and, mm. To, and to really dig down deep and pull things out of them that maybe they didn't even know were there. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so fulfilling and so magical when you watch someone over this rehearsal process and sometimes they're like oh I, I can't do this or why did I get cast as this part or I have no idea what I'm doing or they feel uncomfortable and then by the time you get to performance it's like you watch them grow it's the personal growth it's the personal yeah. and professional growth that is so magical and fulfilling to watch have you written any of this down <clears throat> um no should I Okay, well, I was gonna say, when you go back and listen to the <laughs> podcast again, write down all the things you just said. Sarah, that's a really beautiful kind of artist statement about who you are as a director. Oh, um, It okay. just kind of showcases like what you focus on and, and the things that you as a director bring to a table. Um, my, my thing that I, I focus on uh, marginalized individuals, other individuals, in various scenarios, um, I tend to think about stories where it's more of an underdog, but a victim who becomes a victor and is fighting to become a victor. And my goal with any show is to create recognition in the audience so that they see someone who is in completely different circumstances than what they know, but they see some aspect of themselves and they recognize that. Like it could be the mother struggling or it could be this person that went through a breakup. Um, but that's kind of my artist statement and so what you just described to me, I absolutely see in your personality. And I think it's really useful for you to go back later and listen to this and write that down as you're kind of doing your grad school applications. <laughs> okay, see, this is so great because I feel like we, this is sort of like, okay, everybody who's listening out there, here is a homework assignment for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and honestly, like, don't overthink it. Like, don't, yeah. because I am set, I am a recovering perfectionist and recovering <laughs> overthinker. One, wow. million, one million percent. Like, don't overthink it. Just get a piece of paper and write down some words or a couple of yeah. ideas. Like, what is your, and it can change. You can change it. Yeah. Like, what is your current personal artist statement i would love yeah. to know and like please like share it with me like find find there's no people like show people on instagram we have a website we have merchandise there, there's a million different ways to contact and like please like reach out and share with me what is your current artist statement in life yeah and i would encourage that even just if they need to like do a voice memo and just speak it out loud because i think one of the hard things is that you may you, you have everyone has their own unique artist statement and they may not know how to phrase it mm -hmm. so just get the ideas out there and start to get it down um and then there are other people that have like a more refined vocabulary like you know you talk to a friend and they'll say oh it sounds like you mean this are you into this like that's how some of my artist statement got shaped as i was talking to my professors and they said it sounds like you mean this or you're really into this i'm like yeah yeah that is what i mean wow um so sharing with each other is really really affirming i love that thank you yeah. for giving us homework <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> Just uh, Professor Philobom over here oh, oh. in her leopard shirt. See, I love the idea of Dr. Philobom, but Sarah Philobom, Master of the Fine Arts, sounds really good too. <laughs>
Thank you. So I feel like this is a good sort of segue into how do you want to see the theater world change? Whew. So many things. Um, let me start with, you know, I was listening to the podcast um, that you did with Vaughn and, and we, we talked about, or you all talked about diversity and inclusion. Um, I, I agree that I want to see creating a space for, for marginalized storytellers. Um, and I, here's what's hard for that. I have to be honest, Sarah, that the intellectual in me is, is really proactive about seeing that change in our industry. What is hard is I have to also recognize that creating a space at the table and creating a, uh, an opportunity for that voice um, means that I need to scoot over. And I, I think that's, that's hard. It's one thing for me to intellectually say I'm proactive about that. It's another thing for me to recognize that you know, in higher ed or in the directing uh, area or performance area, inviting, inviting more diversity in um, means that I may not have as many opportunities and I need to be okay with that because we're, we're leveling the playing field or we're trying to, we're trying to create that, that equity, that opportunity. Um, and so I, I think we're all really good about saying we want this, but recognizing what that takes is a little harder. Um, and so I have to say, I'm okay with someone else um, taking my job or me taking a different job because their voices need to be heard. Um, so I, I wanna see that. I think coming out of the pandemic, we can all agree that we, we crave entertainment because that's what we were all doing is watching Netflix and Hulu and, and whatnot. So we need stories and we need those stories to be told. Uh, and so we need that support. So I hope coming out of it commercially, um, our country, and world recognizes that we need to support artists because we need those stories. Um, it's just a part of who we are as humans. Um, but I, I also hope that we don't end up pandering to the commercialization of, of theater uh, and saying, here's art because we need the money. Um, I hope we're able to, to broaden it and do some more interesting things. Um, and I kind of hope that we have greater empathy coming out of this pandemic. I'm not sure if we do, but I, I think a lot of us uh, you know, especially through your podcast, we got to recognize that we're not alone as artists. Like everyone is kind of feeling these thoughts uh, inside their head and we really needed someone else to say them out loud so that we don't feel alone. Um, I, I would like to see more content for trans actors. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I talk about new content and not just for trans actors is we can take, so many of our shows have been written by old white men and they can be reimagined and that's great, but the context doesn't always work well. I have, a, I have this belief that a lot of, mostly with musicals, shows are either museum pieces or they can be reimagined. So you're gonna either reimagine it or it's gotta be done the way it was because it just can't. And if it had to be done the way it was, it probably shouldn't be done. Um, so we kind of need new content that creates uh, characters that reflect actual personalities for people of color um, or trans actors and those lived experiences rather than trying to force those lived experiences into white drawn characters. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I want more content for that. And that's hard. Um, I was doing, I was doing a, with the workshop at SETC and we were working with um, trans, trans performers for musical theater. We were trying to figure out where where do where do we go with some of these roles because you can change some of them, but mostly um, we kind of need them to be the trailblazers so that we can create new content and and break our society out of what we're stuck in, which is uh, you know we can do a, a queer Oklahoma. I think that's great, um, but the, right before I left New York, there was a really cool show called Interstate, and it was about a trans Filipino. Uh, man and a lesbian Chinese woman that started a band and were just traveling around the country and dealing with kind of those issues all the while their music was resonating with a a young person in Kentucky that uh was trying to consider transitioning and so those are stories that we don't hear but I think that's really cool and that's creating content for those performers yeah Wow. I, lo I love all of this. I'm like super, super <laughs> into all of it, especially when like, I love that you have really been studying, uh, you know, gender studies and, and because 
I like thank God that we're in a world where we're like mainstream people are finally starting to talk about these things and and mm -hmm. recognize them and bring visibility to them because I've actually been thinking about it a lot lately like what does it mean to be a man what does it mean to be a woman what are male characteristics or female like what is any of that you know what I mean those yeah. are just right things that have sort of been like spoon fed to you ever since you were a child depending on where you grew up and what environment and community that you grew up in um because i know i was sort of from just my own personal experience i was raised to be like if if you are a woman well then you have to be accommodating and you have to mm. and you have to be pleasant and you have to be you have to work harder than everyone else and you have to be positive and you have to look a certain way and you know and like even in the theater world oh absolutely and now that I'm in my 30s, I'm just kind of like, bye. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, goodbye to all of that. Like, because I, I am loud and I, and I'm outspoken and I, you know, like, that's exactly how I want to be. And why shouldn't I be that way? Like that, like, I'm just, it's being true to myself. And so, yeah, I think there's there's something so one your 20s is just sort of like a mishmash. You're just yeah. like make it's like a crazy like what even happened? I I don't even know. Yes. And then your 30s is learning hopefully learning all of the mistakes that you made in your 20s and then then like you I can confidently say that finally now as a 34-year-old single mother, I know exactly who I am. I know exactly <sighs> what I want and I know exactly what I need. And yes. and if, and if whatever situation doesn't matter what it is, career-wise, relationship whatever it doesn't fit into that well then i can just i can just keep walking i can say okay no, no thank you next and just keep moving on yeah no i agree with you there's something about hitting 30s where it's like i felt like i'd been climbing up a mountain my whole life and then suddenly hit a plateau and i was like i don't care what anyone thinks this no, is wonderful it's so it just great. doesn't matter who cares um, <laughs> who cares you hit on a really interesting point that i, I want to come, come back to which is talking about like this our perspective of what a man should be or a woman should be and since we're in an industry that deals with you know stock characters and expectations it's really hard as a director to try and reconcile what's expected on stage versus what's truth in in life you know because we, we as, as people we like boxes to some extent like we want to know what that is and i don't just mean like gender but like oh that she's the she's the funny character or you know he's the romantic lead or so like we kind of like that categorization to help us understand storytelling those archetypes and as a director to come in and find some way to reconcile not catering to those those stock types like we could talk about um sizeism in the industry and how that's a big thing um or but but to some extent like if you're doing a show that's set in the 50s well there's lots of different like styles that happened in the 50s okay so you know you're talking with your costume designer and your set designer and it's like on the one hand this might be accurate 50s but what's the assumption of 50s and which one do you do for the audience and how do you find that hybrid so that they're not like oh i didn't know it was set in the 50s i didn't see poodle skirts and things like that but at the same time you, you don't want to just do poodle skirts um so same thing with working with actors and casting you know is it is it wrong to have um a larger unconventionally male um you know lead leading man um or is it wrong to have a different sized uh woman who might normally play the funny character but is now the ingenue or something like that and trying to break those molds is really hard because you are trying to tell a story in a way that's going to read to the audience without conforming, I think, to some of the, the harmful constructs that we've made in our business. Yeah, or, or, the, or the stereotypes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's hard. So as you as you continue your directing journey, I mean, <laughs> and you know, and I, I've, I've fought against, there, there's something to be said for, with the diversity as well, like working in, the, in our university, we did not have a whole lot of, of diversity within our student body. So we kind of fell into this trap of how do we do shows with more diversity when we don't have the students for them, but then how do we attract students that are diverse if we don't have shows to give them? Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I finished casting, when I was casting my thesis, I was casting on talent. 
I was not trying to make, you know, some of these characters fit as family units and whatnot. But I got done. I was like, yep, that's a white family. Didn't mean to do that. Um, I don't know. And there's, I could go off on this whole tangent about, you know, what, it, what are the, what is the gatekeeping in academia that we're facing, like, marginalized students or, or students of color that don't have the training accessibility. Um, like, when did you start dancing, Sarah? Uh, age four. Yeah. So for someone coming from a family with a single mother who maybe had to work three jobs, that just wasn't an, a privilege where their, their young black daughter could go to those dance classes. So by right. the time they're applying to colleges, they don't have the competitive skills to meet these other students. Yep. Um, so it's really, complicated and then that feeds into our industry so it's a problem Sarah can you fix it <laughs> um you know I feel like I cannot fix it single-handedly but <laughs> do you want to know what I can do yes I do want to know what you can do I can every single week show up on this podcast and use my voice to bring more honesty and more stories into the world because that is how I wholeheartedly believe that is how we change the world is, is through storytelling and mm. more honesty because it creates more connection and more empathy which inspires action to actually mm. sort of get the wheels in motion towards the better and create the better future that we are all wanting. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Ex exposure, I think, to these different lived experiences is, I think, so crucial because it may not create an immediate change in your routine or Joe Schmo's routine, but it's going to open his mind up to to just be a little more empathetic, like you said, um, which I, again, I think is the point of theater is to create that recognition so that I may not relate to this um, Latino boy who's in a gang but I see that need for affection or love or family and I relate to that and so right. I can understand where he's coming from and maybe the next time I'm walking you know downtown I'm not going to have immediate judgments or or racist thoughts that I might normally have otherwise right yeah or I, I even think it's a you know it's something as you go to see a show where maybe it's a story being told that you really don't know anything about um yeah you know, and especially when it comes to like women who are in who are in difficult situations, especially mm. mothers or mm. uh, women who are in situation abusive relationships or who need to get out or who need to leave, and you go and see something and it really affects you to this level. This is just one. There's so many other examples, but this is just one example. Is that you go and see the show and you're like, wow, I never realize this or I never thought about it like that or and then it sort of it inspires you like well then how can I help you know how and so maybe it inspires you to donate I don't know $25 to a local organization to a local shelter who is like helping sort of the it's it sort of like by seeing a story by seeing a show it inspires you to take action to yeah. to, to help out your community yeah yeah yeah. So anyway, <laughs> on, on, I know we've talked about a lot of like really, really great stuff today. Yeah. Mind, <laughs> mind blown. We've given out a homework assignment to listeners. Gosh, changing the world. <laughs> changing the world. One episode of there's no people like show people at a time. That's what I'm talking about in this, in this brave new world, this post pandemic world that we are slowly climbing towards. Do you have a favorite theater memory or story that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Um, I'll do, I'll give two real quick. One, one is, so I was doing the production of Buddy Holly and I was this MC character who comes in towards the end. It's like the final performance that Buddy Holly does before he gets on the plane and, you know, tragedy. And uh, so this MC character, you know, has a script, but mostly it's kind of audience interaction. You're trying to gauge and you respond based on how things go. Um, and the power went out for the band. So the guitars weren't working. They couldn't do their, their, their performances. They were trying to get that done. And there's just awkwardness on stage. I was like, crap, who can fix it? Crap, I'm the character. I'm the only character that justifiably can go out and intervene in this situation to keep the show going. So I went out and like stalled improv with the audience for about 15 minutes as my character within, and then try, as a storyteller trying to be like, okay, it's February of 1950, 
1953, I forget the, but it's like 1950. So like, I can't make any contemporary references. It's technically February, so I'm not gonna make any. So I was like trying to all stay within those given circumstances and interact with the audience. I got a couple that was celebrating their anniversary and we made some really odd jokes, but it was just like so stressful and exhilarating. It must be how stand-up comedians feel. Um, because there's this whole thing, am I going to fail at any point? I just want to keep this going. They got the they got the power back on, so it was fine. Um, and so many people tried to buy me a drink later uh, in appreciation, but I was just, oh my gosh. Um, shows, live performance. Uh, the other thing, this, this was a show I did with you, and we'll see if it comes back to bite us. Um, so we were doing Jesus Christ Superstar, uh-huh. and it happened to coincide with uh, I think the Dark Knight or the Dark Knight Rises. I don't remember. It's one of the Batman films. And so we're doing The Last Supper and I'm, you know, one of the disciples. And I, I don't think I had any part in this. I think I knew it happened, but I don't think I participated in it. And there's a point in the show where Jesus lifts up the bread to break it. And unbeknownst to Jesus, some of the disciples had gone in and bitten the bread <laughs> in the shape of a bat. <laughs> and they made the bat symbol in the in the bread so jesus is singing his whole like you know take my body and whatnot he's lifting it up and there's the bat symbol da, <laughs> da, 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 da. um gosh imp- unprofessional don't do it guys but also it was really funny <laughs> so funny <laughs> and the look that jesus gave us which was like i'm gonna kill all of you i'm about to die but i'm gonna kill all of you uh really funny Oh my goodness, Stephen G. It out like what a treasure today has been. <laughs> like it has just been a treasure filled with so many gems and jewels. Oh. Th- thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with me on the podcast. Absolutely, thank you for having me. I loved getting to just talk about all this stuff that's going on. That like like you said, we can't immediately fix, but by having the conversation, it kind of kind of gets it going. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and. You know what's next? Who knows? We don't even. I guess we'll we'll find out. Yes. Well, well actually, you know what? I do know because tune oh. in, tune in next week. There'll be another exciting episode <laughs> of of the <laughs> podcast sharing more stories about theater and life. Mm-hmm.